0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. If you would please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Oh, I hope this is a challenge to you today and in a good way, in a really good way. I uh, hope it is to me too. Um as we as we look at Luke chapter 22, um this principle of individual rewards for uh individual service, that is a frequent theme in the Bible. Not a novel concept at all. And and all Christians should naturally expect that rewards in heaven will vary according to service and faithfulness. Uh, we know that punishment in hell, we should, we should actually be encouraged that punishment in hell will vary according to the evil which each unbeliever has committed. Uh, Revelation 20 assures us there, there's a record maintained in the books. So, so it's not only Google that's keeping track of everything, right? If Google can do it, can God, oh yeah, oh yeah, and keep track of everything. And the fact that Scripture assures us that God is perfectly just, perfectly just, should be a comfort to every single one of us. Uh, if you have a grandmother who, who lived a, a pretty moral life, she, she uh, uh, yet refused to repent of her sins and trust that Jesus died on the cross for her sins, she'll be punished but she won't endure the same fate as Hitler. Because God is just. Uh, Corresponding to that, all who endure trials for Christ's name and the gospel will be properly rewarded for their sacrifice and service. Our passage today falls on the heels of Jesus um, urging his disciples during this Last Supper, uh, to embrace a lifetime of service. If you were present last week, we discussed how it is through faithful service to Christ's church that we identify criteria present in order to recognize uh, elders and deacons. Deacons serve as stewards for the church. They take care of us. Uh, Elders serve as overseers who shepherd and protect Christ's flock. Each of you serve as the Holy Spirit has uniquely gifted you for the works of service, and therefore First Corinthians chapter three verse eight assures us that each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Folks, God is just; He's righteous, and and the promise this promise is given in the context of building. Christ's church, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, the body of Christ. And the and the only thing that will remain after Christ returns to judge the world and, and when the old heavens and old earth are are destroyed, uh, melted down uh, with intense heat, we learned just a few weeks ago, the only thing that's going to remain is Christ's body. The church. That's it. And you hear it said very often that uh, God, uh, the souls of man, and... Uh, the Word of God are the only things that are going to pass through the fire um, that is somewhat true, somewhat true yet there are some other things that we may be able to take with us and you 'll learn in just a few moments. First Corinthians chapter three and verse thirteen concludes at that very moment when Christ returns, each man 's work will become evident for the day that is the day of the Lord, the day of the lord 's return will reveal it. Because it will be revealed with fire. Remember how we said when Jesus comes, there will be a, uh, the, the elements of the earth and the heavens will be melted down with intense heat? Uh, here it says, The day of the Lord will reveal each man's work. It will be revealed with that fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. The man or the woman will be saved through fire. The believing man and woman will be saved through that fire on that day. Ultimately, on the day Christ returns, if you are a Christian, you're going to be saved. But your earthly portfolio, that's going to be burned up entirely. While your eternal portfolio... Your heavenly portfolio vested in service to Christ and and souls, that is the only thing that's going to pass through that fire when Christ returns. Um, It's a fiery judgment into eternity, and what you have there will remain. Uh, Each will then receive a reward. You will receive your reward, I will receive my reward. And Scripture often represents these rewards as crowns. You might have heard that before crowns will be again awarded justly in perfect harmony with Christian service. God is always just. Folks, please get this. In all sincerity, please, please, please get this today. Your time, your talent, and your treasure can pass through the fire of judgment only if you properly employ and invest it today. The only way, the only way. I'm not implying here that uh, everyone must go home immediately and entirely empty your retirement accounts so that when you are older, you don't have anything left to eat on. I'm not implying that. I'm not suggesting that. Though you may, the Lord allows you to do that but I'm not implying that each Christian is called to do that. But Scripture does, and therefore I do, urge us, you and me, I urge us to divest from the world and its lusts and its and its vain recreational pleasures, those pursuits which which literally consume, literally consume our time. And our treasure, as though it's being burnt up in fire, consumes it entirely. Folks, instead, instead, let's, let's suffer some hardship. Let's suffer some loss for the sake of the gospel. Let's give something up for Christ. Um, by the way, Rita, will you play this back for me later? Please. In our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, Jesus promises twelve thrones to the apostles. And, the, and then to everyone else who endures trials or, or loss of any kind in this lifetime for his kingdom, he or she, Jesus says, will receive many times as much in the regeneration. Uh, that refers to the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Folks, this assurance of a reward, this, this promise of a reward is given to everyone who follows Christ. What an opportunity. It's going to apply in a special way to the Twelve. Because, because they remained faithful with Jesus during his earthly trials. Uh, so they are each going to receive a, a unique honor. A unique honor. Uh, you say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. I wasn't even alive back when Jesus walked the earth. I didn't get an equal chance to do what they have done. I didn't get a shot at those thrones. Well, folks, who, who's perfectly just? Us? No, God is just. He will do what is just. He determines what fair is. Uh, we do not. Um, as we learned last week, you know, is it too much for what Christ has done for us on the cross to accept a little return for the investment? A little ROI. Um, not only that, but what makes us think, what makes you and I think, if we had walked with Christ in that day, That we would have endured those same trials? Would we have endured? When we can't hardly roll out of bed in the morning. You know? You know? Let's read our passage in Luke chapter 22 before continuing. In verse 28, Jesus says this You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom. I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and that you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, uh, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, With you I am ready to go to both prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied denied me three times. Denied three times that you know me. We're going to be able to pick this up again uh, later as that happens. Peter's declaration here of loyalty is just one more evidence uh, that Peter... And the others weren't just moments ago questioning their loyalty to Christ. We looked at that last week. You know we said, "What is that phrase? When Jesus said, "One will betray me." Was it the apostle saying, "Oh Lord, is it I?" And I said, "No, the, the literal rending rendering is they were confidently declaring to the Lord, "Surely not I." That falls right in line. With what Peter is saying here, Um, I am ready to go both to prison and to death, he says. Very confident in himself. So are the others. The trials Jesus endured were relentless through his life. For years, the religious elite have been plotting to kill him in just a few more hours. They're going to succeed just a few hours from this time. His neighbors in his own hometown, when he returned there and kind of launched his ministry there, after he taught in their synagogue, we learn in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 28, that they tried to cast Jesus off a cliff. Well, you don't find that in many pastoral ministry books, do you? After you preach to them, they're going to run you off a cliff. You, folks, you do know. You do know That preaching the gospel and being devoted to Jesus Christ can be hazardous to your health, right? Yes, it can. On this very night, on this very night, the Apostle John records Jesus saying this Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's John 15, verse 20. And it was only just one night previous to this, one night before the Last Supper, on the Mount of Olives when Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24 verse 9, "They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name." Uh, folks, that warning extends to all future generations of Christians as well. In First John 3:13, "Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you." Don't be surprised. And, and the world doesn't, doesn't hate us because we're mean. We're, we're not mean. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is very clear. He says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we, we try to conciliate. So, so we're never, um, never going to be commended at the reward seat of Christ for just combative postures that become arrogant and offensive, purposefully offensive to others. Christians are kind. We're, we're kind people. Folks, it, it is the gospel message that offends. That, that gospel message that we bear. It, it's very offensive to an unbelieving heart. When we go to them and say, You know, friend, you have habitually sinned. You, you fall short of God's glory. Therefore, it is right for God to judge you and send you to hell. That is just That is appropriate uh, for all eternity. But because God is love, because He is love, He provided a sinless substitute to take the punishment for you on your behalf, and that sacrifice unto death was His only beloved Son, named Jesus. We tell them that, and then we say, if you repent of your sins, if you turn from your sins, and you turn to Christ, trust in Jesus, and believe that God raised Him from the dead, Scripture assures you will be saved. You will be saved through that fire, and you will forever worship Jesus. Uh, Start today, right? Start today, because God has provided no alternative substitute. There is no other way on the planet. No other way. Folks, that is offensive to the unbeliever, that they would have to bow the knee uh, to the living Christ. Uh, But that is the only message it saves. The only message it saves in America that might get us mocked, might get us laughed at. Uh, it might get power cut to your church if you live in California, might get you arrested. Threats of that might get you fined. But folks in, in many parts of the world today, many parts of the world, it will still get you stoned, like Stephen. Um, it will get you crucified upside down like Peter. Uh, it could even get you beheaded like the Apostle Paul. And it will all be worth it. It will all be well worth it. This is because the Father's rewards for honoring His Son, they're, they're not going to be chintzy. They're not going to be cheap and, and poorly made. Uh, do you follow me? Folks, is your view of God, if, do you have a biblical view of god that he is very generous and very benevolent and wants to give to those he loves Uh, jesus assures us in matthew chapter 19 his disciples will be rewarded many times as much the greek word there means a hundred times as much anything that is temporarily sacrificed for the kingdom folks do you think jesus is is joking when he says this do you think he's insincere that you're really not going to get rewarded well for the kingdom? Why, why are we doubting him? You know, is Jesus pulling like a bait and switch? Just to pull us in and then let us down at the last uh, ring of the bell. So we, we sacrifice time, talents, uh, we forsake the world, some even die for Christ. And Jesus is going to shortchange change? no no, 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 it, it, that can 't be our view of God. Um, the problem with our thinking when we think of God in that way is is we often mistakenly view God as like ourselves instead of becoming a reflection of christ we 're making God into a reflection of us. you know we we know it 's possible when we tell our kids you get straight a 's for the whole semester you 're going to get a new bike. And then, gosh, when they finally do it, we're like, you know, can we wait till it goes on sale? <laughs> or, or, you know, we could pick one up over at the nearly new store. Just a little bit used. Son, it, it will be new to you. <laughs> Some of us have had experiences in that way. Uh, oftenly we, often we may mistakenly view God in this way. But he doesn't give rewards hesitantly like we may. All right? He he showers with gifts. Folks, he gives us way more than we deserve. Way more than we deserve. And and those 12 who've stood with Christ during his earthly trials, uh, they're promised to receive thrones. Thrones. And we conclude no big deal. Huh, no big deal. I, you know, I think I'll spend my Sunday mornings, well, fill in the blank, elsewhere. Really? You know, is, is a two-pound bass better than, a, than an eternal reward? Is a hole-in-one better on Sunday morning than all that God is going to give to us? We say to ourselves, you know, that, well, that's a good trade. Folks, it's not a good trade. It's really not a good trade. Um, That's a major disconnect with reality. Major disconnect with reality. The twelve get thrones. They get thrones. The question gets asked sometimes, which twelve? Which twelve are these? You know, Judas abandoned his office. He forsook it, we learn uh, shortly. And... uh, with the concern that Peter expressed in Acts chapter one, verse 21 uh, that Peter was concerned that Judas's replacement had to have accompanied Jesus throughout the entire time of his earthly ministry, uh, and, and that suggests that Matthias, the one who was chosen, there were only two that had accompanied Jesus that entire time throughout his ministry, Matthias and Judas. And Matthias, the lot fell on him, if you're familiar with the story, he filled that office. And uh, this is because Matthias and Justice, if they're there the whole time, they're the only two that had stood with Jesus through all of those trials. That's the requirement for this throne, that they had stood with Jesus through all of those trials. Lot fell on Matthias. Um, Don't worry, Justice will get his too. He'll get his. Um, Meanwhile, there's Paul. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, one who was self-described as untimely born out of order, uh, he doesn't fill that criteria of this passage. So personally, I, I think that it's Matthias. Some disagree, but that's the reason that I think it's Matthias. Um, Paul didn't stand with Jesus during his earthly trials as he walked the earth. But don't worry, Paul will get his. Don't worry. Stephen, the first martyr of their church, will get his. James, the Lord's brother who was slain with the sword, will get his. Mary Magdalene, she's going to get hers for sure. And you'll get yours. You will get yours if it's not all burned up. If it's not all burned up. Uh, folks, I don't want any of us spending, including myself, uh, going into eternity looking like one of those old chimney sweep guys. Just coming through just soot. That's it. Well, I made it. I made it. And nothing else. Nothing else, um, folks. I don't know about you. I don't. As you think about this and the opportunities to serve, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm very concerned about all this. I'm very concerned about all this. I, I'm going to be a little concerned about the battle that is going to ensue over who gets to pressure wash the buildings and restripe the parking lot. Oh wait, Ansel already pressure washed the other building this week. I'm going to be really concerned about who wants first dibs on that. Um, I'm going to be really concerned about the argument that is going to ensue, God willing, among those who eventually get to travel to Niger as a delegation of Port St. Lucie Bible Church, bearing a bountiful gift to give to those Christians who are in need. Can you imagine... The fights we're going to have over who gets to go do that. Praise God. God willing. A bountiful gift to relieve the suffering of Christians. You know, there's a man named Stephanus. Stephanus, and it includes his household. Stephanus and his household, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, says, They were the first fruits of Achaia, and they devoted themselves to. For this ministry to the saints, it was poverty relief to Christians, folks. They devoted themselves to it. And do you know what Stephanus' name means in Greek? He who is crowned. Isn't that great? Crowned. I think, I think the Lord's trying to give us a little hint here, a little bit of a hint what things are going to look like. He, he chose that guy for that position. Just for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's disciple named Titus, he also teamed up with a brother. We aren't even given the guy's name. We aren't supplied his name, but we're only told that his fame spread amongst all the churches because of this work that he did in the gospel of carrying poverty relief to saints in other countries. His fame spread among churches for the compassion and the work that he did. Folks, I'm asking, who wants to win? Huh? Who wants to win? Whose, whose works are going to survive that fiery trial when Christ comes? You know, there, there isn't a whole lot of, of physical persecution yet in the United States. There a whole lot. Um, so we, we can't really die for the gospel as it sits right now. Um, But we can die to self. We can die to self. Uh, Besides, you know, I'll say there's a whole lot more to do for the kingdom than just die. Well, there's a lot to do as we live. Let's rather live for Christ. Let's live for His kingdom. I got an idea. Here's a great idea. I know I'm going to spend every weekend that I have available lying around on the sand on the beach. Does that sound rational? Nothing wrong with enjoying some time away. We know that. Rita and I want that too. But is that all we're doing? Is it all we are doing? Uh, Folks, that's all going to burn. It's going to burn. Burn. All those experiences, all that time, all the money invested is going to burn. Verse twenty nine, Jesus says, Just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Do you believe Jesus or that God is really granting Jesus a kingdom? You have to be a Christ, uh, You have to, in order to be a Christian. Do you believe that God has tr- granted His Son a kingdom? Then you also have to believe, by default, in this passage. Jesus is going to grant you something. He is going to grant you something. Question mark behind there. Um, we're all going to enjoy this messianic banquet. Is going to eat and drink, uh, which indicates there will be a very literal, a very physical experience of rewards in God's kingdom. Um, Those disciples they are going to be awarded 12 thrones to judge the 12 tribes. There's a good bit of speculation on this verse uh, about what this judgment involves or what this throne involves. I'm just not going to bite. I'm not going to bite on it. Uh, We know it's not talking about salvation. It's not that. Um, Revelation makes numerous... Uh, References to thrones. There are 24 thrones that are spoken of. The New Jerusalem is represented as having 12 gates guarded by 12 angels named after the 12 tribes. And there are 12 foundation stones with 12 names of the 12 apostles. The walls are measured 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. That's 1,500 miles in our deal, but again 12,000 Uh, There's going to be 144,000 witnesses, 12, from each of the tribes. Boy, there's just a lot of references to 12. This is what I think the 12 thrones of the apostles is intended to communicate in Matthew chapter 19 and in Luke 22. Jesus had just announced to them, just just minutes earlier, He just announced to them, they're going to be bearers of the new covenant. Remember we studied that about three weeks ago? They're going to be bearers of the new covenant, uh, which by the blood of the Lamb of God... Indefinitely supersedes the uh, 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 the old covenant infinitely infinitely supersedes the old covenant for the bulls the blood of bulls and goats that ain 't going to cut it. it is the blood of the Lamb of God now with the new covenant, and, and the fact that they 're going to have authority to sit on twelve thrones and ju- judge those twelve tribes of Israel uh, says to me it, it should cement in their minds should solidify. The immense superiority of the new covenant versus the old. I I don't know what their role of judgment may be, but it is substantial that Jesus' apostles are going to judge Israel. That is very significant. Elevates the new covenant far above the old covenant. Uh, Their position of authority, being able to sit on those thrones, what they are given. It's due only to God's choice of them by grace. The apostles, you know, they weren't real perfect. This is all by God's grace. Uh, they won't be boasting in themselves on these thrones. They will boast in Christ. Simon Peter, who is well, still at this point professing that he is the greatest, still got that in his head. Uh, he's going to fail miserably. He's going to fail miserably when tested. Verse 31, Simon, Simon... Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Folks, all twelve are going to fail. All twelve are going to fail. The you in verse 31, the you, it's plural. That's not just to Peter. It's plural. Jesus' statement is in reference to all of the disciples standing there. He tells Peter, Satan has demanded to sift all y'all like wheat. All of you. He's demanded that. You know, sifting is a process of, of cleaning freshly harvested grain coming in from the field. Uh, you run it over a perforated sieve, shake it around where the impurities fall through, the grain remains, the chaff on the top blows away on the wind, and leaving leaving just pure grain behind. That's what the process does. We used to do this on the farm. If you're from a farm, you had the combines does it mechanically. Uh, it, it, you, you drive through the field and you shake it and shake it until everything that is not pure falls out. That, that's the purpose behind it. Sifting is an image of a violent shaking, an allusion to the repeated trials that the disciples are going to face that's going to cleanse them of impurities. It's going to cleanse them. Uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think here that Satan's goal is to refine them or cleanse them. He, he wants to shake them up. That's what he wants to do. He, he, he wants to do like he did with Job, right? When he tested Job. And he wants to persecute these men. He wants to hurt them bad. I didn't read this anywhere, so buyer beware. I believe the purifying process of the shaking, the sifting like wheat is Jesus' own assessment of satanic trials. Hang with me just a moment. I think Satan's only objective here is to punish the apostles. He wants to hurt them bad. While Jesus is commenting, I believe, on the results of those trials to come, Uh, it's going to cleanse you. It's going to be a sifting. Don't, Don't be surprised, Peter would say later, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal as if it's some strange thing happening to you. Peter knows. This is the way God's work. Uh, God works. The permission Jesus gives Satan when he allows Satan to test them, it's going to, it's going to sift them. It's going to shake them, but it's going to sift them. It's going to provi- uh, supply then a positive effect that purifies them. Uh, Jesus here is going to knock the rust off, right? It's going to purify them. James said, "...consider it all joy, my brethren." When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Folks, these trials are going to do what they so often do. They're going to have a positive effect on the disciples, separating them from the impurity of the world. Separating them from the impurity of the world. It's going to make them more useful. They're going to be more useful after this this scene is done, as they get further on into reaching the world with the gospel. An important uh, distinction should be made. Uh, These are trials that are orchestrated by God to act as a refining process. There are also trials that you can bring upon yourself, just not being very smart. All right? You can also bring trials upon yourself. Don't get confused of the two. You might end up uh, penniless or poor, uh, in poor health due to bad life choices, right? Folks, stay in school, please. Don't conclude later in life that, well, God did all this to me, and it was completely outside of my control. A lot is within our control. Some things are very much within our control. Wise up, repent, I would say, uh, or that refining might not function at all. You you just suffer from bad life choices. The trials in this passage that Jesus is speaking of are permitted by him to cleanse the disciples. They they have a, a purpose. That's not Satan's goal to cleanse them at all. Um, so I don't think Satan asked, You know, can I sift them like wheat and, and refine them? Uh, I think he just asked permission to punish them in the testing like Job, as I said. It, it's Jesus who tells his disciples, I am going to allow this and it's going to function to cleanse you from, from, the, from the worldly chaff. I'm going to allow it. It's going to sift you like wheat. Uh, Satan's goal is never to, to cleanse as Jesus is describing. So I'm pretty confident here that um, Satan has no idea at this point what Jesus is saying or the positive effect this is ultimately going to have on his disciples, how good it's going to be uh, for them. Nor does he know what Jesus is saying to his disciples at this point in time. He doesn't have a clue, folks. Uh, This is a private conversation with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, This is a huddle that he has them in, giving, it, giving them a game plan. Uh, Satan, Satan's not in the huddle here. Say, Satan, we've got to remember, he is a created being. He's very limited. He's powerful, but limited. He, he's not omniscient. He, he's, he doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He is not everywhere all the time, as God is. He's not God. So we need to stop giving Satan divine characteristics. He's very limited. He can only be in one place at a time. Yes, he has other evil spirits who followed him into rebellion, but none of them are outside of God's control. This is going to be good for the disciples. I think it's possible that Satan may not even read about this occurrence, this event, this this conversation Jesus had. I'm thinking it's possible Satan doesn't even hear about this until Luke writes about it decades later. Satan doesn't know everything that's said everywhere all the time. He's not God. We need to remember that. Um, Sometimes we give him way too much credit. Sometimes we blame him way too much. Maybe he's not the one bothering you. Maybe it's your flesh that is bothering you. Maybe Satan's busy elsewhere. We need to remember to uh, not try to escape the consequences of our sin and blame it on someone else. That's what, you know, Eve tried doing that. Then, then Adam tried doing that. I was pointing the finger. Uh, my problems came from there. Maybe they came from here. Maybe they came from here. Um, folks, the apostles here are still far too overconfident. Far too overconfident. So the humbling process is going to begin. It's going to be a humbling process tonight. Uh, Jesus assures they will all fall away. All of them. He insists in Matthew, uh, uh, as they insist in Matthew twenty six thirty five. they say, oh no, we won't. He says, oh yes, you will. Uh, it's not, it isn't just Peter who says he won't fall away. Uh, Peter's merely just the poster child of, of boasting here. He's a very confident person. Helps him in situations, hurts him in other situations. They're still disputing, by the way, in verse 24, which of them was going to be recognized as the greatest. That's what's still in their minds. They need a wake-up call. They need a reckoning about how hard ministry is going to be. And Peter says in Mark 14, verse 29, this is Peter's declaration, (laughs) Even though all may fall away, yet I will not... So he just called Jesus a liar. Huh? You know, Peter Peter always one-upped everybody, and this is why Jesus is going to make an example out of him. Make an example out of him as you look at verses 32 to 34. It's in these verses now where the U's are singular. The focus now gets changed over to just Peter. Just Peter. Just Peter. Uh, they're all going to get sifted like wheat. But to Peter, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, uh, when once you have returned, strengthen your brothers. But Peter said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Peter, so bold that the other gospels record Jesus having to restate this as they're going out to pray, has to bring it up again. Um, because he's the boldest, he's going to fall the hardest. Going to fall the hardest. Uh, but when he denies Christ, does Peter's faith fail? Does he lose his salvation? Does does he lose his faith? You know, there are some Arminians think so. Yeah, he loses his salvation here, that, folks. That's an error. No, Jesus only prays, we've learned this again and again, Jesus only prays according to the will of the Father. He is in harmony with the will of the Father at all times. Um, it is not, uh, he not only prays that Peter's faith won't fail. That's the will of God. That's what he prays. I have prayed, Peter, that your faith will not fail. And Jesus also assures the result. He tells Peter, once you have turned again, meaning once you have returned from your denial to come back to accepting uh, uh, me again publicly, he says, then strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Is Peter's salvation ever in jeopardy? No. Not according to Jesus. Not according to Jesus. In fact, Peter's failure, this is the good part, Peter's failure is going to make him a very effective vessel to strengthen his brothers. He's going to strengthen them. It's going to supply him with what? Empathy. Yeah, me too. He's going to have some empathy for others who have failed. Do we need that? When others have failed, do we need to recognize the times that we've failed? Oh boy, do we ever. That that makes us useful. Um, Those who've been sifted through trials are often some of those who are most effective in strengthening others. You can't... uh, can't really empathize until you've experienced pain. And those who never fail, or maybe think they can't uh, fail, you know, pride can can render us ineffective. So God will take us through trials, help bring us down to where we can understand others and how they have suffered. Uh, for that reason, humiliation is going to be a really good thing for Peter. This is going to be good. It's going to be sifted like. Wheat, and it's going to make him incredibly useful in the long run. Folks, we can thank God for trials. We really can. Um, They can come hard, like they did with Peter, or they can come easy. They can come easy. You can fight them, but don't despise the Lord's sifting. Don't despise it. Uh, The time, the talent, the treasure, folks, let it go easily. Let it go. Uh, It's going to make you very effective for the Lord's service. Very effective, and it will be followed by a reward, a reward in heaven. You know, even though he will repeatedly fail, uh, Peter finally turns around. He's going to be very effective. He he's gonna look look at how far he's fallen, uh, denying Jesus three times on this night. I don't know that man. Yet he's going to receive a throne. He's still going to turn and God is still going to give him a throne. Think about it. You think you've fallen too far? Folks, you haven't. It's time to return. It's time to return and strengthen your brothers and your sisters. And God has a plan. You, you can't fall too far as a Christian where God can't pick you up. What are you going to get? Think about it. What are you going to... To get. Uh, scripture says that those who are faithful, those who return, the, those who are run the race to win, uh, they're going to be awarded crowns. They're going to be awarded crowns. You have not fallen too far away if you know the Lord. Come back. Uh, there's going to be crowns involved. Not everybody's going to get them. And what comes with these crowns, I don't know exactly. Uh, But I do know that God does not give chintzy gifts. He's not cheap. Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. Jesus ain't pulling a fast one on us. Um, Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. He ain't pulling a wool over our eyes, folks. This is a great challenge to us. So as I begin to close, I, I just want to briefly profile these five crowns that are found in Scripture. Uh, They represent reward. They imply influence. uh, Perhaps will signify authority in the eternal state. We don't even know what else. Uh, But again, God is not chintzy. Jesus said, if you are faithful in a little, I will put you in charge of much. He ain't lying. He ain't lying. Um, There might be more crowns. You you could get multiple crowns, perhaps. Uh, You may get none. You may get none. Um, Rewards are represented in Scripture to be individual. They are, are represented to be literal, physical, and eternal. Heavy word there. Eternal. That means a long time, I think, Ruth. Eternal. Um one at a time here. I'm I, I'm gonna share some stuff I learned. You might have read this book or I might have borrowed it a few years ago. Facing your final job review by Woodrow Kroll. I shared part of this almost five years ago now. Um I I'm looking at this in a whole new way today than what I did five years ago, honestly. Uh, especially since we we discussed the Olivet Discourse and Christ's return. You know, that's really been front and center now for quite some time. And uh, uh, that has really both challenged and encouraged me, looking back to this book again, uh, thinking about that return of Christ and the fiery judgment that is to come, the new heavens and the new earth. I've really become a little bit fascinated now with these crowns. Though scripture doesn't give us a lot of information, it gives us some. Let me share. The crown of victory. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. The crown of victory. Do you not know that those who run in the race all run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable stephanos, or crown, uh, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way, Paul says, as not without aim, I box in a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, uh, so that after I have preached to others, I may not be uh, disqualified. Notice this crown is imperishable. Imperishable. The crown of victory, it goes to those who run the race all the way to the end. All the way to the finish line. Uh, some do not value the prize. They don't think much of the reward at the end of the finish line. They won't run. I ju- I'm just tired. I, I just won't run. Uh, some in Christianity, like runners in a marathon, yeah, they'll just drop out somewhere along the, along the way. And bow out, you know. They lose sight of the finish line. They lose sight of it. They lose interest in it. Think it's not a big deal, the reward, at the end. Woodrow Kroll writes this, quote: It's the crown worn by those who have gutted it out and lived a life that pleased the Lord Jesus right up to the final tape, all the way to the end. Uh, it appears that if you still have a heartbeat, folks, there's a chance you could get this one. Take it from now to the end. You could probably attain this crown. Jesus will decide for certain. Uh, these people don't bury their faith in the trappings of the world. If you want this crown, persevere from now until the end, and, and God will um, well, God will award what your reward will be. Know there, folks, know this. There is a finish line. Alright? There is a finish line line. Second is a crown of righteousness. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 5 through 8. We're almost done. Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am ready Uh, Already, Paul says to Timothy, being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, uh, will award me on that day, and not only to me, But also to all who have loved his appearing. We've been studying his appearing a lot in the last six months. All who have loved his appearing will get this crown. It's referred to as the watcher's crown in some circles. Those who are watching and ready for the Christ's return. It's awarded to those who are longing for, who are watching uh, for the return of the Lord. Literally, it means a crown for doing right. A crown for doing right. Kroll writes this. Believers who have become wrapped up in earthly things have their allegiance on earth. But believers who realize they are but strangers and pilgrims here and have set their affections on things above will not be contented until the Lord comes again. If you longingly anticipate that day, Kroll says, there's a reward for you. Well, I've heard from a lot of you recently as a man. I'm looking forward to him, I'm watching for him. You're ready for that day. If you're eagerly watching for the return of Christ, what it does is it, it accelerates your divestment from the world. You're not really concerned about the stuff in the world, and it makes you very effective for the kingdom of God. You will be proportionately rewarded. The crown of glory this is 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witnesses, uh, witness to the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness, yet not lording it over those who are allotted to your charge but proving to be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Folks, again, like the imperishable crown of victory, this too is unfading. Unfading. The crown of glory is for shepherds uh, who shepherd the flock and and, and Kroll writes is, is not a done deal. A lot of pastors out there have it in front of their name. McCroll assures this. He goes, These men are those who have a pure desire to see others grow in the Lord. They do this out of love for the sheep. Loving to see others excel. That's what a shepherd is to do. Uh, That's the crown of glory. Fourth, the crown of life. Revelation 2 verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Remember, we don't have to fear that kind of testing. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's the martyr's crown. That's the crown of life. Um, These have been faithful to God uh, offering their entire life. Think of Jim Elliot, Nate Saint, those guys who gave their lives in Ecuador, uh, others who have followed into the mission field. Um, they've given it all. Folks, I wonder, because we're allowed to wonder and ask questions on this, I wonder if those who have gone into the mission field, and we've read stories about them and others who they've gone in and uh, they get ill, they, they, they fall ill and sick, and so they don't depart from those they're ministering to, they just remain Rather than be extracted out of the mission field, they stay there and refuse medical attention. I wonder, I wonder those who are doing it in that kind of love and they die in the mission field by giving their life for Christ if they're going to get this crown. Who knows? Who knows? God knows they're going to get something good. Finally, and this, this is a fun one, the crown of boasting. It's called, it's called the, the soul winner's crown. All right? He who wins souls is wise. The soul winner's crown, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 to 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, says Paul, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown—these are people that Paul had led into the Lord, into the faith. I said, my joy and my crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved folks. Uh, th- this doesn't imply just you know grabbing a megaphone and going to a college compass, campus and just randomly insulting people. All right, these are those folks who really want to win souls. To the Lord, Um, those wearing this crown in heaven—they're going to be those who truly want to see people saved. To the point where they, where they spend time on their knees, praying for souls, praying for people to be saved. Why would we do that? Because God is sovereign, right? God can open hearts to receive the words that we're going to give. So they're praying. these people are praying for souls to be saved. And therefore, when they go and speak, when God ordains those opportunities, the Holy Spirit is pleased and opens the heart. Folks, we could do better on this. We could do better on this. Um, it's fun to see new people saved. Fun to new, uh, see new people saved. Uh, Kroll writes this, Sometimes witnessing for Jesus just happens. But it's more frequent when we deliberately seek out opportunities to tell others about him. So we need to do. So we need to do. Someone just asked me this this past week, "Are these crowns just symbolic? You know, Are we going to just cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus and then lift, live the rest of the life in eternity all, all with the same uh, blue participation ribbon pinned to us. Same as everybody else. Uh, Jesus is going to get all the credit. Because he's worked everything. Uh, folks, that casting of crowns at Jesus' feet that we see in Revelation, that will probably be a literal event. Uh, yet the epistles describe these crowns with words like imperishable and unfading. All right. So, uh, so I guess Jesus hands them back. I don't know. Uh, and the faithful who sacrifice are told uh, that our reward in heaven will be Great. Think about this. People say, well, we're just going to give them back to Jesus anyhow. Why do we keep diminishing the Lord's promised reward? Why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep making it small? Maybe it's because if we just think it's small, then we can just be lazy and not pursue it. Just dismiss it as not being important. Folks, that is a lie. That is a lie. These crowns, the rewards are important. They are not going to be small. All right. Um, there's nothing in Scripture that predicts uniform participation ribbons for everyone. Purge that entirely out of your mind. Everything we read suggests that lasting eternal rewards rendered by Jesus uh, will be given to each individual according to their own labor. Because God is just. He is just. His final exhortation in the Bible, Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Final exhortation in the Bible Will your work survive the fiery trial that is to come? Folks, you can't take any of it with you, but you can take people with you, and you can send it on ahead through acts of faith. One final verse, one final verse, and it's about faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. All of us have the first half of this verse memorized. Got it by heart. But true faith keeps its heart focused on following through all the way to the finish line. Here it is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Let's pray. Father, oh, to think of how generous You are and, and uh, how how much You've already given. Lord, I, I hope our hearts are lifted, not crushed, but that we are encouraged to, to look towards the finish line, uh, to know that You're going to be there. Lord, whether You come tomorrow... Or, or, or whether we go home to you. Lord, we look forward to that day. Lord, we're seeking, seeking that day where we see you face to face. And Lord, we do it because your spirit works through us. Therefore, we do it for your glory. Yet yeah, Lord, you don't, you don't shy away from hanging that carrot out there and telling us to go for it. Lord, I pray this church would go for it, that people would be saved, that you would be glorified every day until you come. In Christ's name, amen.